from the crypt. What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. This is your host, Marty Bent. This is episode one, part two of the history of Bitcoin. Back in the studio at Lewis Roberts from Barstool Sports. He's had a busy day. This is his second podcast of the day. Dude, podcasting is a tough business. I'm used to selling it. I'm not used to actually doing it. It's been a lot. I've had a, and I actually have gone from a gambling podcast and now a Bitcoin podcast. It has been, it's been a hell of a day. For those of you that don't know, Lewis Roberts is the hardest working person in media. And there's no doubt about that in my mind. I don't. Yeah. 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 Don't, don't mean to make you blush, but just we need people to know that. Need you listeners to know that. Yeah. So we're back in the studio. Um, for those of you that missed episode one, get on it. Go listen to it. Subscribe to the podcast. Review the podcast. Unsubscribe. Resubscribe. Tell your mother. Tell your father. Tell your friends. Tell some random people on the subway. I don't care who you tell, but just get the word out. If you missed last week's episode, we talked about a few things. Just the first three years of Bitcoin. We're about to pick up back in 2012. Um, so... I guess we'll just jump right back into it. Uh, 2012 in the world of Bitcoin, it was a slow year, but a lot of important things happened. A lot of important structural things happened in the Bitcoin world in 2012. There wasn't too much price action, wasn't in the news too much in 2012, but some things happened that would lay the groundwork for for the next eight years. Um, so we'll begin uh, the beginning of the year. Uh, Bitcoin Magazine was launched by Vitalik Buterin. Some of you might know Vitalik's name because he is the founder of Ethereum, probably the most well-known cryptocurrency, definitely the most well-known cryptocurrency after Bitcoin. Vitalik's a weird-looking dude. He's a weird-looking motherfucker. Like, he looks like... I, I, if I saw him in, like, an alleyway, I would run the other way. He doesn't look like... like I, He doesn't look like a developer. He almost looks like like a fucking evil genius that's why he scares me like i own some eth but he scares the shit out of me he just doesn't look right he looks like a guy who's like trying to do something to me and i'm just like this is a motherfucking weird looking guy he's all brain it's like his brain sucks up all the energy from the rest of his body yeah yeah he's skin and bones and it's just scary as shit but he some people would consider him one of the smartest people on the face of the earth he kind of looks like the fucking taos from the crypt guy he does. That, hey. He does. Vitalik, if you're looking for a Halloween costume this year, I think the Tales from the Crypt guy, the Crypt Keeper, might be an easy fill for you. Vitalik, if this somehow gets to you, it never will. Come on and discuss discuss Halloween costumes with us. I would love to have a conversation with you, Vitalik. And I want to thank you for starting Bitcoin Magazine back in the beginning of 2012. I know you're not running it anymore, but the creation of Bitcoin Magazine was pretty big got a bunch of uh, got a bunch of people exposed to bitcoin and was some pretty hard-hitting journalism on the space um as the year goes on after vitalik launches the magazine uh one thing one of bitcoin's first apps was actually a gambling app uh, we we're talking about lewis being on a gambling podcast earlier one of the first use cases after people buying drugs with bitcoin was gambling on a site called satoshi dice um and in the first half of 2012, people started noticing that Satoshi t- that transactions emanating from Satoshi Dice were um, they counted for half of all transactions on the Bitcoin network. So we had a DGen 
gamblers in 2012 taking up most of the space on the Bitcoin blockchain, most of the transaction space. And this sort of, uh, it wasn't the best thing for the network because a lot of people sort of view this, this small denomination Bitcoin use as spamming the network. Some people think it should be used for bigger transactions and small small bets uh, sort of take up a lot of space in the blockchain. And this is the huge debate we're going through right now with the block size. And I believe Satoshi Dice was probably the first instance where people started noticing like, all right, maybe microtransactions aren't plausible right now in the Bitcoin network. Um, as we move further into 2012, uh, we get the, the launch of one of the most important Bitcoin companies to date. Love them or hate them. Uh, they have done an immense amount for the space and uh, probably would not be where we are today without this company. And that company is Coinbase. Why would people hate it? Why would people hate Coinbase? Like, what is the, why would they hate it? I don't think anybody hates Coinbase. Hate's a strong word. I don't like to use hate very much. Let's use strong words. Let's take strong takes into this fucking room. All right. You want to take strong takes? People dislike Coinbase very much because uh, they tend to get political in a couple things. Um, like right now, the scaling debate, they're part of the New York agreement that wants to force uh, a, a hard fork of the network to double the block size. A lot of their customer, they're sort of speaking on behalf of their customers, and a lot of people get perturbed by that. They don't, they don't like to have the corporation that they buy Bitcoin from sort of speak for them. So a lot of people get pissed off about that. And then they get political with forks. So like we had Bcash fork off of Bitcoin earlier this year. Initially, uh, Coinbase said, hey, we're not going to support Bcash. If you have Bitcoin on the Coinbase exchange right now, you will not be getting your equal amount of, of Bitcoin cash after the fork. Get a wallet, people. Get a wallet. Keep all that money. Keep it. Keep your money on every fork. There could be a billion forks in a row by the end of this. Make sure you keep all that money. And the way you do that is by moving it to a personal wallet and controlling your own private keys. So... Again, nobody hates Coinbase. There's a couple people that disagree with its politics. Okay, just needed that. I needed like since you basically where we're at is that you're the play-by-play guy. I'm the color guy, and sometimes I need a little play-by-play. Sometimes I'm like the color in the booth who's like really not paying attention. I may be texting my wife. I'm not really paying attention to the game. Sometimes I gotta just jump in and be like, "What's going on here?" You got married? No, it's a it's an expression. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, so 2012, summer of 2012, we get Coinbase. And again, they're one of the most important companies in my mind. Uh, some people will debate this, but there's no doubt uh, that they have exposed millions of people to Bitcoin and, and probably been one of the best on and off ramps of, of acquiring Bitcoin to date. Um, so shortly after that, uh, a bunch of people are seeing this action. We got a magazine launching. We got an exchange launching. We got people gambling on the blockchain, and we just start to see a bunch of more venture capitalist activity happening. Uh, Boost VC, they started a Bitcoin company incubator. I think they might have been the first uh, first Bitcoin incubator launched by a VC uh, at this point. So there's definitely a lot of interest growing. Um, towards the end of the summer, WordPress comes out and says, hey, we're going to be begin accepting Bitcoin. A few months after WordPress started accepting Bitcoin, around Thanksgiving, actually to be exact, a week after Mark Sanchez's infamous butt fumble against New England Patriots, uh, we had a huge 
checkpoint, I guess you could say, huge hallmark in Bitcoin's life lifespan. We hit block 210,000. Why is this important? Um, for those of you that don't know, every 210,000 blocks, the the mining reward that miners receive for, for mining a block and adding it to the blockchain gets cut in half. So every 210,000 blocks, miners receive half of what they were in the previous 200,000 blocks. So when Satoshi lost, excuse me, when Satoshi launched Bitcoin in January 2009 until early December uh, 2012, miners were receiving 50 Bitcoin per block until we hit block 210,000. After that, they are receiving 25 Bitcoin per block. So this sort of introduces you to Bitcoin's supply schedule and how it how it plays out. It's very front heavy. Right now there's 16.8 million Bitcoin on the market and there'll only ever be 21 million. So every 210,000 blocks uh the mad dash for Bitcoin gets more frantic. Wait, wait, wait. Can we can we something that I need a little the color commentary guy needs a little on like if there's only 21 and we're at 16.8, what are we going to do? Just stop mining it? Stop, like, having it? It's just going to sit there? Like, is it just going to, like, we're going to sit there and hold it? Hold it and trade it? Like, what are we doing now? Where are we at? So this is the way the schedule of Bitcoin is set up, where it's very front-heavy. And that's why when people talk about hyper-Bitcoinization and sort of the price running up quickly, this supply schedule is what comes into play. So you have a lot of a lot of Bitcoin coming onto the market initially, but as time goes on, every two hundred ten thousand blocks, the protocol is releasing less and less Bitcoin. So it's it will get to a point right now. It's twelve and a half Bitcoin per ten minutes. Uh, the next block happening will go to six point two five and three point one two five, and from there, you sort of sort of having functions come into play and by. I guess 2030 it is you'll be these miners will be making less than half a bitcoin per per block and that's why it's pretty crazy when you think about it we'll have close to 21 million mined by midway through the 2030s but it'll take until about 2140 to mine the 21 millionth bitcoin and after that happens it becomes a pure fee market where users pay miners to to make transactions and to secure the network this shit is crazy i hope i'm still alive the way i live i probably won't be alive but i gotta hope i'm alive by 2040 all right let's get on to 2013 all right let's roll on to 2013 uh this is when speculation around bitcoin begins to pick up again uh, like I said, 2012 was a bit of a lull price-wise, news-wise, but we did have a lot of infrastructure getting built in in the Bitco- excuse me, Bitcoin ecosystem. 2013, this is when things begin to pick up again. Uh, like we said earlier, WordPress began accepting Bitcoin. Uh, now we have Mega Ep- Upload and the Internet Archives. Uh, they start to begin to accept Bitcoin as well for payment, so it's just growing its tentacles and and taking over the world a little bit uh at the same time beginning of 2013 excuse me the price hits 30 dollars again for the first time since uh 2011 um so this is 
on February 28th of 2013, Bitcoin hits a new all-time high. So people, their interest is peaked again. Their ears are perked a little bit. And they're like, all right, maybe maybe Bitcoin isn't dead yet. Um, another thing that happened in the beginning of 2013 is we had the first hard fork of the Bitcoin network. Um, this happened because of a previously undiscovered protocol rule that took the network out of consensus. Uh, luckily, again, the network was small enough where miners and users were able to collaborate and coordinate uh, to immediately update their software and come back on one chain. This avoided a, a massive shit show. It would have been terrible if we had uh, a hard fork that that ended in two chains at this point in Bitcoin's life. Um, around this time as well, Andreas, Andreas Antonopoulos he started the Let's Talk Bitcoin podcast. For those of you that don't know, Andreas is Bitcoin's widow peaked hero. He's spreading the gospel of Bitcoin across the world. I'm sure some of you that are interested in Bitcoin have seen his YouTube videos. If you haven't, go out and watch them. Uh, Andreas, Andreas, excuse me, is definitely one of the the best authorities in this space. You know what makes me more mad is that like if Barstool would have started podcasting in 2013. We'd be doing this thing from a fucking yacht right now. We were, if I could have one mistake that we made at Barstool, it's we did not do podcasting earlier. Me and Marty be sitting on a yacht. I'd be doing this. I don't even want to get into it. That's a story for another time. I just saw that he started podcasting in 2013. Made me a little bit upset. You know, and Andreas is on top of it. He's on top of Bitcoin. He's on top of podcasting. He's... Smart guy. He's he's Very ahead of his guy. time. He's ahead of his time. A lot of us here are behind their time. That's why we're doing this podcast, so we can catch you guys back the fuck up, so we can start making some money. <laughs> so you go forward in 2013, we get to the March Madness, we get to the tourney. Uh, Louisville's making its run towards another, towards another title. At the same time, Bitcoin's making a run towards a new all-time high. With the information that just came out, Rick Pitino was buying a title, but let's keep going. That is true. He was buying. Did he get ninety eight percent of that Adidas? Ninety eight percent. He bought a title. Let's keep we let's keep this thing moving. Just got to throw it out there. Shout out Rick. Shout out Rick. While you were making that paid for tourney run, Bitcoin was making a run for uh, of its own. Excuse me. It exploded seventy percent in two days and jumped to seventy five dollars. Um, and this was in the beginning of the tourney. Before the tourney ended, the the Bitcoin market cap had surpassed a hundred million. So I don't know if you remember from last episode. We talked about Bitcoin hitting in the million-dollar market cap. Uh, I believe it was in early 2011 or 2012. Now it's at 100 million, so it's market cap-wise going 100x in a little less than two years. Um, continuing, not too long after the tournament, Bitcoin goes above 100 dollars. A week later, it goes parabolic and rockets to 266 dollars. So wow, wow. This is when things are starting to get real. This is, so take a step back right now. I'm sure a lot of you right now are hearing a lot of bubble talk from financial media, from a lot of talking heads out there, people on Twitter saying, ah, oh, we're in a bubble, we're in a bubble, we're in a bubble. This type of talk has happened many times since I've been in Bitcoin. Um, this being one of them, this jump from 100 to 266, This is people are like, this is the... This was the first tulip craze of Bitcoin was back in 2013. To, to put life in perspective, like I could buy Bitcoin this year in 2013 with what we were making at Barstool, 
we couldn't, I couldn't buy a Bitcoin at $266. That's how much, like, how fucking hard it was. Like, we couldn't have, I couldn't have spent a dollar. So, like, I'm actually kind of like, if I would have learned about it back then, I would have been like, oh, I want one. But I would have been like, eh. I would have been like, eh, we barely can, like, t- keep the lights on here. And now we have, like, now we have podcasting rooms we can steal to record this. Yeah, brick by brick. You guys were laying bricks back then. Yep. Yep. Still laying bricks. Now we're just laying bricks in the digital currency space, hopefully. So, yeah, back now. So it went on a huge price run. And back during this time, this was still when small news events could could affect the Bitcoin price uh, a lot. So Bitcoin Central, I believe it was an exchange. It got hacked of several hundred Bitcoin. People freaked out. And the, the price crashed from 266 all the way back down to 150 so it's one of these volatile price moves uh, that Bitcoin has come to be known for. Um, a news like this today probably wouldn't affect the price uh, like it did back then. It wouldn't fall uh, more than 50% uh, because of this. But uh, these were the type of news events that were affecting the price back then. Uh, as we continue throughout the year, we get to uh, around summertime, I believe, one of the lead investors in Spotify uh, Shaquille Khan, he starts Coindesk, which is a media company I'm sure a bunch of you know, dedicated to covering the Bitcoin space and the crypto space in general. If you could say right now, like, is what are your, like, besides your, besides your email newsletter, shout out to the email newsletter, subscribe to Marty Benz email newsletter. I read Coindesk all the time. I read a lot of Reddit. You give me like one or two other ones you listen, I mean, you, sorry, not listen to, you read all the time. Coindesk, I like. Uh, Bitcoin Magazine's pretty dope. Um, Coin Telegraph, uh, not the best. Uh, Brave New Coin is another one. My favorite source, though, is uh, Twitter. Twitter? Okay, that makes sense. I mean, mine would be Twitter too. I mean, Twitter is the Twitter is the, for all the problems Twitter has. It's the best fucking news network in the world. Like, there's not. It's not even close. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. It comes down to individuals over publications. I like to trust True. individuals as sources. Me too. I'm with you. And not go to publications. So actually, I've been building a list on Twitter for the last four or five years now. I think it's got almost 600 people. Again, hit up my uh, my Twitter, at Marty Bent. Hit up my list, my crypto list. That is where I get most of my information. So it's filled with developers, venture capitalists, traders, uh people that are working on all coins, people that are working on Bitcoin, people that think all coins are stupid. There's a bunch of views and that's where I go to get much of my, uh, most of my news. So if you want, if you want a plethora of views and conflicting views, definitely hit up that list. Um, yeah, but Coindesk coming into the space in 2013 was big. We have some specialized media people can go to, to sort of learn, uh, about Bitcoin and what's going on. And shortly after that, we find that there's a gaming company, ESEA. They were secretly using their customers' computers to mine Bitcoin. So this is one of the first outlier use cases uh, that people are introduced to if if a company is able to get malware or some type of JavaScript uh library running on your computer like the javascript that's used to serve you banner ads and stuff like that that can actually be used to mine bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies so be careful out there somebody could be using your computer you wouldn't even know 
and they could be making money off of you. We really got to build that thing where we tell people, are they using your computer or not? That's like a fucking, that's the easiest money in the world. Uh, that uh, I don't even want to tell people because someone smarter than us is going to hear this. Like, that's a genius. Like, that's It's basically the new Norton antivirus. That motherfucker's crazy, but he's rich. Deep Web Tim's on it. I, I hope so. We got to hit up Deep Web. Where Where is Deep Web Tim? He told us he was going to build us an MVP last weekend. It's Friday. I gotta. I'm gonna. I'm gonna DM Deep Web Tim after this. You gotta take the train down to New York, Deep Web Tim. You gotta get in the studio. We gotta talk. Come uh, on, Tim. Tim, let's get some stuff built. Let's get some money. Let's let's make this stuff happen. So, move into the summer of 2013. Price is going up. Bitcoin is jumping back into people's minds. Uh, and just as this is happening. Homeland Security seizes $2.9 million worth of Gal- excuse me, Mt. Gox's funds from a Dwala money account. Uh, this is another tremor in the saga of Mt. Gox. Just another sign that they're a little off base. Probably not the safest exchange in the world. As you continue to go through the year, we get some more legitimacy in Bitcoin. The Winklevoss twins, the Winklevi. As some of you know them by, uh, they registered their uh, their Bitcoin investment trust, and they they told people that they were going to try to buy one percent of the whole Bitcoin uh, supply. So I believe that's two hundred ten thousand Bitcoin they were trying to acquire. Wow, that's that's some that's some big that's some big that's some big fucking dick shit right there. I wish I had. I mean, people kind of hate on the Winklevosses, but they're actually like they're like I mean Zuck. Zucks fucking did a lot of great shit and he was definitely way smarter than them and like just took but the Winklevosses have been on have been on fucking like on tilt on a lot of shit like they're on tilt on everything like they see they may not be able to code shit they may not be able to like but they're great like visionaries and the great like product people like like they see shit before anyone else sees shit you need those type of people in the world that's all I'm gonna say I'm not gonna lie man identical twins freak me out Uh, it's like there's two Two of the same person running around. It's just a little creepy to me. I can. Put- I, I. So let me give you a quick story about identical twins. We did a, a an ad deal. Pro- this was probably right around this time too. It was called for like Twin River Casino. Like this was one of the first like big ad deals we got. Like how we kind of like actually got like electricity and I got to eat and I think I got like to actually move out of Paul. Paul sales guy. Shout out Paul. I don't think you're gonna know who Paul is. He was like the first sales guy. I took his job at Barstool. Got to like move out of his fucking basement. It was called Twin River Casino, and we basically did like the hottest twins in New England. It was one of the most successful ad campaigns we ever did, and like the twins were great. That's all I'm gonna say. The twins were great. <laughs> the twins we had were great. I probably would have been a little freaked out on that shoot, but we're moving on. We are gonna let's keep going. Uh, get further into the summer. Bitcoin's getting bigger. The price is rising. There's more eyes on it right now, and uh, the government's watching. So at the end of the summer, uh, the New York Department of Financial Services subpoenas 22 Bitcoin companies in the state of New York. Didn't think they were doing anything illegal, but they just wanted to make sure they weren't doing anything shady and be like, hey, we are watching you. So this is sort of the first instance where the government is coming in and saying, we're watching you. Be careful with this Bitcoin stuff. Uh we don't want you scamming anybody. Um, a week after this happens, uh, China's biggest search engine, Baidu, begins accepting Bitcoin. So China, a country that is well known for centralized uh, power, 
the biggest search engine in the country, begins to accept Bitcoin, which is pretty ironic because it is completely anti uh, authority at its I feel point. like any anytime like an Asian person's ready to jump on a wave or like get get going, I'm like all in. I feel like the Asian people are just so just them as a people are like so ahead of us. They're just so ahead of us with everything. So like it's kinda like 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 once they're in, I'm like, whoa, what's going on? I gotta know what's going on over there. Uh Jack Ma might be the swaggiest CEO in the world. Uh did you see him in the Michael Jackson costume doing a Michael Jackson impression in front I, of his whole company? I didn't, but I would have been like, I would have been standing up. I would have been like Beyonce arm, and I'd be like, "Let's go! This is awesome." This would have been like if Jeff Bezos dressed up in a Kiss costume and put on a show for for all of his customers. Jack Mazadon. I'm telling you, dude. The, the Asian once once Asian people were in, I'm all in. <laughs> Shout out Asian people. Love you guys. Love you too. Uh, another tangent story. I used to work at a Japanese restaurant. Believe it or not. Japanese word of the day, oshibori. It means wet towel. It's what you offer people when they come to your restaurant. They sit down, they wash their hands before you eat. Oshibori. Uh, moving on. Despite all the news uh, surrounding uh, the Silk Road, it got shut down uh, the same summer. Um, and that's actually, we should probably hit on that. Uh, yeah, you should probably give some shit about Silk Road. I mean, Silk Road was probably when, like, Everyone in to me like maybe be, I don't know when before that you would know a little bit more. I feel like that is when like that was the first story where I think like everyone popped their head up and was like holy shit like what is going on? I remember I was like what is going on? We can buy shit and people won't know. Like I need to get into the dark web. I I don't know how I'm going to get into the dark web. I don't feel like they would ever accept me, but I just wanted to be in the mix at that point. Like, I, I mean, this was like pre-meeting Deep Web Tim, but like I was dying for some dark web people. Dying. Like those guys, like if you're in the dark web, if you're in the dark web, can you just DM me and be like, I'm in the dark web. I know how to get you in. Like, right. I just want to be in. You're, like, I'm, I'm you're asking to be hacked. You can't ask these people to come contact you. You better have 2FA set up on everything. But like, but like, don't hack me. Just like, let me be like in. Like, like I can be your gateway to like the real world, and it's almost like I can be like their proxy. Like some of these people don't ever like want to be known who they are. So like, I can be your proxy. I will be the person who's just like, you need me to do your bidding in the real world. Like, get you some groceries. Everyone needs to eat. Let <laughs> there's someone in New York City in Midtown right now who's who's just like dark web all day and like they need to eat. So like I can like drop off some groceries for you if you just like let me in. Like don't hack me. I don't want to be hacked. Just like let us like exchange favors for each other. Like you get to like have some contact with outside of the dark web and I just get to like peek in the I, I just want to peek through like the window and be like, oh, I saw the dark web. I saw what's happening in there. Like, that seems fair to me. Let me know if you get hit up because I want to go on this journey with you. I've, I've never been on the dark web myself. You know what? If 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 Tales from the Crypt takes off, we'll make a video. I'll get someone here to film a video and we'll go find the dark web. I will go around New York City at night and I will find the dark web or it, whatever it takes. If I need to go capture deep web Tim in Boston and bring him and be like, Sh get me in the dark web, I'll do it. <laughs> Well, this dark web company, the Silk Road, got pretty got pretty messed up. Uh, summer of 2013, the founder Ross Ulbricht, free Ross hashtag free Ross. Uh, he was sitting shout at out a, Ross. He was sitting in a coffee shop in San Francisco, I believe, and 
basically just got bombarded by the FBI. They figured out who he was. His online surname was Dread Pirate Roberts, I believe. Roberts or Rogers? Um, Dread, excuse me, Dread Pirate Roberts. Um, he got caught in San Francisco at a coffee shop. He was working on the site, I believe. Uh, and the F- FBI arrested him and seized $3.5 million worth of Bitcoin, uh, some of which the agents that were on the case stole. They tried to steal the Bitcoin from the Silk Road for themselves, and those idiots eventually got caught, and I believe they're sitting in jail right now, those ex-FBI agents. Um, Despite all this news, despite the Silk Road getting shut down, despite questions about Mt. Gox's security, the price of Bitcoin is still surging. It hits an all-time high. Of two hundred and sixty nine dollars. Um, of course, it would surge. Like people act like, like, like. Why wouldn't it surge? There's a fucking place. There's a part in this world you don't even know about. It's almost like the upside down it's in like Stranger hit. Things. It's like the upside down in Stranger Things. People are just like, there's shit happening. I don't know about it. I gotta know about it. Let me just buy. Like to me, you, to me, it's almost like, dude. If I can tell you this right now, if I see the price of Bitcoin starts going down. I'm just going to create some shit. I'm just going to start propaganda. Like, I know how to do, like, I may not know how to get in the dark web, but I know how to do, like, Facebook propaganda, Twitter pop. It's real easy to do, like, A-B testing with that shit. Yeah, yeah. I could do that in two seconds. So I will start that shit, and the price will go back up, because once you, once you, there's something you don't know about, you just want to be in it. That's just, that's the world. It's the same thing why people, I mean, I'm just going to say this right now. It's the same thing why people cheat on their wife. There's some, they don't know about something else. They just want to be in it. Humans are infinitely curious. Exactly. Yeah. And you know what's crazy? So it hits a whole, a new all-time high, $269. Ten days later, it surges to $503 on Mt. Gox. Again, this is crazy price movements. Bitcoin's a world of heavy volatility, big price swings. If you're hearing it in the news right now that this is a bubble, these price swings are unmanageable, this is nothing new at Bitcoin. It's been going on for almost a decade. Um, also, too, I'm just going to throw this out there because this is what we do it. This is what we do in Barstool Sports. Like we got we're also watching the Sixers and the Celtics during this. So shout out to the Sixers, shout out Ben Simmons, shout out Joe Embiid, shout out Mark Fultz. Let's fucking go. Hashtag Let's go. Trust the process. We're trusting the process. Let's keep going through 2013. Well, so this was the year of the price run-up, the first big crash, Mt. Gox's fail. So a lot of people, I mean, it's actually been proven to this point, Mt. Gox was actually running a trading robot named WillyBot, and it was a trading algorithm that was basically running the price up and arbing people out of Bitcoin. I mean, that's fucking, that's every high-frequency trader in the fucking world. So, like, basically, that's smart. I mean, that's, so wait, let's ask a question then. Okay, so if they were doing this, if they were doing this with WillyBot, why are people still not doing this? If they like fix this issue? No, there's definitely, there's definitely, I think there's already high freaks in in Bitcoin trading. Bitcoin, you can use the exchanges APIs to make your own algorithm. So it would make sense that you'd be able to create these. High okay, frequency. yeah, that makes sense. You're right. I don't. Um, I mean, I'm in Bittrex and in GDEX, but like, I'm not. I'm well, not but I thought like. That's where I'm lost because I could have sworn this is the whole point of this shit is we can stop this motherfucking shit. Uh, that's not the whole point of it. The whole point of it is sound money. But on the exchanges, literally like on the exchanges to to create, to avoid redundancies, the exchange just handles all the Bitcoin transactions centrally on their own servers. Okay. okay. So they're, okay. Not, they're not clearing everything on the blockchain whenever there's a trade. 
they're sort of shuffling things around in their internal wallets and stuff like that. Um, but again, end of 2013, we have this huge price run up. I, this is when I started getting, I had found Bitcoin in 2012 when I was studying uh, monetary policy. I was writing a paper on monetary policy and stumbled into the Bitcoin white paper my junior year of college in 2012. Um, didn't buy until until probably around this point was my first buy. I was an idiot and bought the top uh, at this huge, at this point of the Bitcoin life cycle. Um, so by the end of the year, it hits $1,242 on Mt. Gox and surpasses Western Union uh, on number of transactions. So that is uh, that is one checkpoint, uh, sort of Bitcoin rubbing the face of a, of a sort of industry stalwart in the mud saying we can do what you do better and we're we're about to overtake you in western union um the year end the year ends and there's a lot of mainstream adoption some more drama as that freak fuck richard branson announces that his company virgin galactic is going to start accepting bitcoin to take people to space um and around this time too shopify officially comes out and says they're gonna integrate bitcoin uh as a payment option for their 70,000 plus merchants. You see the thing with Shopify the other day about like oh wait, I think someone told me that and did that come out yet? I may we may be oh shit, I probably shouldn't be saying that yet. We're like Shopify may be in trouble. Just so everyone, when anyone hears this, is Chip telling you this? Uh Chip still uh, Chip still very much like bullish on the stock, but there there there's a thing came out where they're kind of like yeah, there they go. Yeah, 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 yeah. I knew it. There was something came out where they were like cooking the books or something. Oh, really? Yeah, there was something. I, I didn't get, but I think I kind of heard that like from someone that shouldn't, like I shouldn't be saying this, but whatever. I don't give a fuck. Five, the 500 people that are here listening to you, they're listening to this. Don't buy Shopify stock. That's my tip of the day. Let's keep going. <laughs> um, the year ends and we have a huge Bitcoin heist, 96,000 Bitcoin are stolen from a sheep marketplace, which is a Silk Road-like dark web that popped up uh, after the Silk Road got taken down. Um, at the same time, the People's Bank of China officially bans Bitcoin for the first time. I'm pretty sure they've done it a hundred times up to this point. But uh, at the end of 2013 was the first time they were like, all right, we don't want you guys messing with this. Um, and because of this, the price falls precipitously, so we fall from 1242 all the way down to about $500 over the course of a couple of weeks, which ends the crazy uh, year that was 2013 for Bitcoin. As we roll into 2014, uh, we'll come to find that uh, the price crash at the end of 2013 will be the beginning of an 18-plus month uh, bear market in Bitcoin. So we're about to head into another lull as we head into 2014. And I believe that this uh, that this lull uh, separated the true believers from the pure speculators uh, in the beginning stages of Bitcoin. Uh, if you stuck true, this drop from 1242 all the way down to $180, you're, you're a true believer. Um, but we're not there yet. Let's get to the beginning of... 2014, as Bitcoin's still writing its story, uh, will not disappoint. Towards the end of January, Charlie Shrem, uh, he's the founder of a Bitcoin payment processor here in New York, uh, known as BitInstant. He was scooped up by the authorities at JFK International Airport as he was about to board a plane. 
and he was charged with money laundering and sent to jail money laundering in connection with the silk road to be specific ross albrecht yes he was arrested first but he was not sentenced first charlie shrem is technically bitcoin's first felon he was the first person to be sentenced to jail He's now out of jail doing good things, working for Jax.io. Shout out, Charlie. Yeah, shout out, Charlie. I mean, I follow Charlie on Twitter. He looks like a really nice guy. He's like with his wife in Florida, just like fucking hanging out. He's not doing anything wrong. Some of these fucking people sometimes, man, like he didn't do shit wrong. No, no, he didn't. He was at the forefront of a revolution and got caught up with some better business bureau bullshit. Dude, I, I, that's probably going to happen to me one day, if I'm being honest. Like, I feel like <laughs> one day, one day I'm just going to go all in on something. I'm going to be like, I see something that's happening. I'm just going to go all in and like, fuck it. I could have sworn I thought I could have sworn I thought that that some the FTC was coming for us at Barcelona every single day. So whatever. A uh, shout out, Charlie. Thank you for all you've done for Bitcoin, and uh, we're glad to see you out outside back in uh, back in the freedom. Um, but again, remember after the PBOC announcement at the end of 2013, price fell all the way down to five hundred dollars. Uh, since then, it recovers back to a thousand dollars. But again. Tumbled back down to seven hundred dollars after Mt. Gox gets a DDoS attack uh, towards the beginning of twenty fourteen. Um, this is the beginning of the end for Mt. Gox. This DDoS t- attack uh, probably wasn't a DDoS attack. They probably just knew everything was over. They uh, they halted withdrawals and they never opened them again. Uh, two weeks later. Nerds throughout the world are panicking as Mt. Gox shuts down operations. They admitted to losing uh, more than 744,000 Bitcoin. Yeah, so Mt. Gox, they, they implode, and this was probably the biggest skid mark on Bitcoin's reputation to date. Uh, at this point in 2017, the Mt. Gox story is probably the biggest scandal in Bitcoin. And again, they lost 770 or excuse me, 744,000 Bitcoin. Some estimates range up to 850,000. So we're talking billions and billions of dollars that were lost by this exchange, never to be seen again. And this was due to the pure incompetence of Mark Harpelis, somebody that was not capable or qualified to be running a a Bitcoin exchange at all. Uh, There's actually a very interesting talk that came out of the breaking bitcoin conference earlier this year in the beginning of september where the person who investigated uh the mount gox saga gave a gave a really interesting speech and basically pointed out how reckless and incompetent mount gox was throughout the years and it is pretty astonishing that they made it this far uh that they made it anywhere into 2014 so the beginning of the year they get shut down um, a bunch of Bitcoin companies get together. They write a joint statement. They condemn Mark Capellas, and they denounce the mismanagement, the deception, and the outright fraud uh, that led to the exchange's dem- demise. So during the next 12 to 24 months, again, like I said, we Bitcoin enters this, this bear market. Um, and over the next... 16 months, uh, a couple things happen. Uh, in the beginning of 2014, Newsweek comes out. Uh, they harass some poor dude named Dorian Nakamoto. They they come out with a cover story saying that he's Satoshi Nakamoto, the creator of Bitcoin. There was a lot of uh, Satoshi's an alien. Let's 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 get let's just let, let's just remember that he's an alien. 
I'm not taking it any other way. He's an alien. He's an AI. He's a ghost. He might be the ghost of Steve Jobs. He's a little bit of everything. He's he's got more than what we got going on. I can tell you that much. Um. So after Newsweek thinks they find Dorian, the Bitcoin community gets together and says, "Hey, Dorian, sorry, uh, these assholes from Newsweek annoyed you, and they come together to raise twenty three thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin for this dude." A very nice gesture. Uh, goes to show that the Bitcoin community is very, very giving and very much about spreading the Bitcoin love. Uh, soon after that, the IRS declares that Bitcoin should be taxed like property. Uh, so it adds to the regulatory confusion. Uh, Bitcoin's getting labeled different things in different jurisdictions, different countries, different states. Nobody's really sure how to treat Bitcoin uh, right now. I will say that. I believe that Bitcoin is speech. It is technically code. Code is a language. Uh, it is literally just words that are executed in a computer. Um, so in my mind, Bitcoin is protected under the First Amendment. I actually wrote about that in today's newsletter. Subscribe to the newsletter. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe a little bit more. <laughs> As we go on to the year, uh, through the year, excuse me, we have a mining pool. Uh, I believe it was called G hash or something like that. Uh, it reached 51% of the hashing power on the network, which is not a good thing. You don't want to see a mining pool ever reach 51% because hypothetically they could attack the network and double spend all the coins. This is something that uh, people are uber cautious about in the Bitcoin space is making sure no miner, cartel, or pool can get 51% of the hashing power. Uh, lucky for us, this pool in the spring of 2014 noticed what it was doing and said hey we're gonna we're gonna back off we're gonna try and limit our share of the hash rate to about 40 percent um so this was one of the first instances where people are starting to realize hey maybe bitcoin mining isn't decentralized uh maybe we need to work on decentralizing it and i would argue that it's still very centralized but that's a conversation for another day um as we go into that summer, the 30,000 Bitcoin that were seized during Silk Road uh, were auctioned off by the U.S. Marshals. Tim Draper, he was an American VC. He bought them all at a premium. Uh, the price, I believe, at the time when he bought them was around $300. But nobody's... I don't. I, Tim Draper's a fucking genius. God, how do you even get into a sheriff's sale like that? How does that even happen? They just like... He bought like, it at a premium. He said, I'm going to pay... He paid above market price. Like, but like... But like but like, how do you even like, like I, I know what like a sheriff sale is. Like, did they just like did the fucking government like take out like a newspaper ad and like the Washington Times, Washington Post? Like, like sorry, Washington Post. Like, what happened? How did they even get that back on the market? I don't know how they announced it, but I think I think it plays out like a silent auction where you don't know what you're betting and what everybody else is betting. He just went for it and, and bet at a high premium. I can tell you what. We ever hear about another auction? I'm going. So if you ever, if you're in the interwebs and someone wants me to show up at a Bitcoin auction, I'm just going to show up. I'm in. I'm in. Yeah. Well. Especially people on the dark web, because I want them in my life. <laughs> As we keep going through that that summer, uh, we come to another dark part of, of the Bitcoin story. We get the worst piece of legislation pertaining to Bitcoin that has been passed up to this point. And that was passed by the New York Department of Financial Services, uh, the state that we currently live in, um, and is known as the Bit License. And this was a pretty, uh, pretty shitty piece of regulation because it creates a, uh, an unnecessary uh, barrier to entry for people that want to start 
Bitcoin businesses in the state of New York. Uh, my opinion and the, pin, the opinion of many others, uh, New York shot itself in the foot by doing this and has hindered innovation in the blockchain space within New York for years to come. So if you're listening, anybody at the NYDFS, please just get rid of the bit license. It's not worth it. It's stupid. And uh, I don't think the government even understands Bitcoin. I don't think they should be making making laws about it right now. Bro, the government doesn't understand anything, if let alone in, stu- in understanding Bitcoin. I don't think the government understands, like, literally, I, I could, don't even get me started. I don't even get started on it. The government understands nothing. I don't think the government understands how traffic tickets should be paid, <laughs> let alone, like, they don't. They don't. I got a great story about this. I mean, this is a well-known story in Chicago. For those of you who don't know, I lived in Chicago for five years. While I lived there, they... Uh, they put in a bid for the Olympics and lost. Part of part of that bid, part of the push in that bid, they sold the rights to all the parking parking tickets in the city of Chicago. So the government sold the rights to the parking ticket revenue to a private company for a billion dollars. And that company basically started operating and was profitable within 18 months. And the city of Chicago hadn't been profitable in years. That just goes to show how private enterprise is more efficient than government. Uh, and the city of Chicago will never see um, revenues from those parking tickets, from what I understand. And they didn't even win the Olympic bid, so it was just salt in the wound. And we're going to end 2014 here with another epic instance, and that is the bear whale getting slayed. Uh, in October 2014, some unknown dude sells 30,000 Bitcoin at market price at $300 a pop all at once. The internet points and laughs at at him uh, after his entire order is eaten up within 24 hours, and the price begins to rise steadily uh, as soon as his his sell order is is bought. So we're rolling into 2015. We just saw the bear whale get slayed. Uh, Like I was saying earlier, Charlie Shrem as the first felon in Bitcoin in the beginning of 2015 is when he went to go serve his sentence, his two-year sentence in prison, officially marking him as Bitcoin's first sentence felon. Um, at the same time, the exchange hacks are continuing Bitstamp, which is one of the oldest uh, exchanges in the Bitcoin world at this point, and they got jacked for $5 million worth of Bitcoin via social engineering attack. This is something everybody out there has to be careful of. Um, the hack only affects affected Bitstamp's hot wallets, but basically what happened is a system admin that worked at Bitstamp, a hacker got access to his to his credentials and was allowed, I believe it was their wallet.dat file, which is basically your private key, and they were allowed to to raid the, the hot wallets at Bitstamp. So if you're out there and you have your Bitcoin on an exchange... Uh, or an online wallet, make sure you don't have your phone number connected to anything. Make sure you have two-factor authentication set up for everything. Make sure you take the steps to secure Bitcoin because there are hackers out there trying to steal them and trying to take you for all you're worth. And you won't even know what happened. You won't know where it came from. And you probably won't even know where to start looking to where you got hacked. Please don't hack me. I want to be in the, I want to be in the hacker group. Like, I don't want to be hacked I want these people to be my friend. I want to be in. I will start playing video games again. I will play fucking Magic the Gathering. 
Just let me be in with you guys. You want to play role-playing games on a Friday? Just tell me where we're at. Where are we at? I want to be in. Just let me be in. I am dying to be in. Dying. <laughs> I would like to be in too, you know, but it's a weird, weird, dirty underworld, you know? Um, oh, we're good. Are you giving us this beer? We have someone here who's giving us beer right now. I do not know what's going on. They they drank the, they drank the six pack. They felt obligated to give us back beers. It was okay. my gift to Barstool. I okay, can't come that's fine. Thank getting... you. I mean, you guys can have this too. Drink this shit too. Drink whatever. I come we'll, bearing gifts. We'll get come free. back out. We'll come back out with whatever we don't drink, and you guys can have it. You never know what's going to happen here on Tales in the Crypt. You never just know. That's all I got. Like, there's never going to be like a moment where it's going to be like easy. If you guys are looking for like the fucking straightforward podcast, that's just like. Oh, well, this is what we're hashing today. This is not the place. You don't know what's going to happen when this officer during this show. <laughs> this is Let's keep going. Definitely not the place for that. Is no, he... not even close. <laughs> not even close. As we keep getting further into 2015, Coinbase comes out, uh, and they're pushed to make Bitcoin more legitimate in the eyes of the mainstream, and they launch a licensed trading platform. Again, like I said, Bitcoin or excuse me, Coinbase is one of the most important companies in Bitcoin up to this date. Whether you love them or hate them, they've done amazing things for the growth of the industry and uh, and spreading Bitcoin, getting people exposed to Bitcoin around the world. I gotta be honest, like if you if you don't like them, you're kind of an idiot because that's the only platform I've seen where like a normal person could use it I couldn't imagine trying to get someone to use Bittrex or GDEX or one of those things like the, the stuff like you are a next level person like like you're not going to do it unless like you worked in finance like if you care about Bitcoin or care about this industry like you should champion Coinbase because from someone who is I mean you've worked in finance so if I I worked in tech I see tech platforms some tech platforms are super fucking hard to use that like people are like oh my god what are we looking at we don't know what we're looking at why are we using this I'm like well it's not that like you need coin but you need the coin bases of the world because they're like going to make it so the masses understand this stuff that is true but there is a, a very strong and passionate section of the Bitcoin community if you would call it a community it's not really a community it's people that use bitcoin that would argue that that buying coins from coinbase is not the best idea because you have your kyc aml you have your identity connected to those bitcoins so if you're really looking to go completely dark and you don't want anybody knowing what bitcoin you own you're probably better off buying via local bitcoins uh, or a person-to-person exchange like that but if you're not too worried about the government knowing how much Bitcoin you own, when you bought it, and stuff like that, and then you're perfectly fine using Coinbase. Um, so they launched this trading platform, and shortly after, we get Bitcoin's second felon. Uh, officially, Ross Albrecht gets sentenced to life in prison, and this is a pretty bullshit sentence. The, uh, the judge in the Silk Road case made it known that she wanted to make an example out of Ross and sentence him, I believe, to two life sentences, actually. Um which is beyond cruel and unusual punishment. She basically did this uh, to dissuade other people from from creating dark web drug markets. But as with anything of this nature, it's something like a seven-headed beast where you cut off one and two more grow in its place. Uh, 
her example that she tried to set did not really deter anybody from starting these drug markets, nor will it going forward. And now Ross is just sitting in a prison cell running away for something that someone argued was harmless. He, he didn't own any drugs. He didn't sell any drugs. He just created a software platform where people could exchange anonymously. Um, and there's a good argument to be made that he didn't do anything illegal. Um, he may have tried to put a hit on somebody, but. He may have or did he? Like think, that's like a that's like a, a that's an illegal thing. If someone tried to throw a fucking hit on you, like that's let's let's okay. I was all in. I was all in with this guy, but now if he's like throwing hits out on people, I'm gonna maybe take a step back on Ross. I can't speak with authority here. I don't know the story inside and out, but yes, I do believe Ross thought about putting a hit on somebody, inquired about it at least. I'm not. I don't think the hit. Uh, I don't think the hit went through uh, of course the hit didn't go through because he'd be dead the hit didn't go through a hit goes through that means someone's dead but if you inquire about a hit you're basically like inquiring no well, not basically you're inquiring about a murder very unfair what happened to him in my opinion um and again i misspoke earlier the bit license hadn't been uh implemented yet uh it was just proposed in 2014 it is implemented in june of 2015 uh, which officially makes New York one of the worst places in the world to start a Bitcoin business. And not too long after that, like I said earlier, uh, the two federal agents that, that wound up stealing Bitcoin during the investigation of the Silk Road, they pled guilty and wound up getting sentenced as well. So we have all this Bitcoin criminal activity going on. At the same time, the price is headed towards about around $180. People are calling Bitcoin dead. Everybody in the mainstream media says the bubble's burst, uh, the wave of Bitcoin is over. Now it's blockchain, not Bitcoin. This is sort of when that meme pops up. And people are saying it's not going to be Bitcoin. It's going to be second generation alts. It's going to be uh, private, uh, decentralized, distributed ledger technology, excuse me. Uh, this is sort of when that was going on, where people were, were and they thought they were, snapping on Bitcoin's grave. But really it was just, cooling off, letting off some steam before another epic run. So a month after the price hits low, I believe it was in June of 2015, it hit around 160 to $180 on some exchanges. Um, Mark Kerpelis is finally arrested after, after Mt. Gox, after the whole Mt. Gox debacle. He's arrested and charged with fraud and embezzlement with connection to the collapse of his exchange. And towards the end of 2015, the first implementation to compete with Bitcoin Core. Um, so this is when all this fork talk starts happening. Um, the first implementation, which is sort of like Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin 2X that you're hearing today. The first iteration of this was Bitcoin XT. And this was launched in December of 2015 by Mike Hearn and Gavin Anderson, who were two early uh, Bitcoin developers that really uh, did not agree with and do not agree with the roadmap that the core development team has set out for Bitcoin scaling. And that's how 2015 ends. And as we roll into 2016, Lewis, we had a montage in the first episode. We got a lot of good feedback from it. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of you guys like the montage, from what I can tell. Huge montage, guys. Shot. I mean, I, I, I'm. I've said it last time. I'm. A, I love montages. Montages. If you give me a montage in anything, I just want to be a part of it. So, for the sake of of time, 
We're going to montage from the beginning of 2016 to, to around today. We're going to blow through it. I wouldn't even say the sake of time. It's more just this podcast has got to get into the future. We are got to be George Jetson. That's true. We are living like the Flintstones right now. We want to be George Jetson. We want to start helping you guys. We got to get people on this podcast that can tell you about shit, that can help you. And I also need to realize we got to make some money, so we need real guests that are not me. Once you get guests, guests, for anyone who wants to start a podcast, I'm going to give you a little podcast trick. Guests equal more downloads equal money. And the only thing I care about is getting more BTC. Gotta That's get, where I'm at. Got to stack that Bitcoin, people. I am trying to make, I'm trying to turn this little house in the crypto operation into retirement with BTC. And how about this? Anybody who wants to run an ad here will we'll offer ads at a discounted price if you pay in Bitcoin. Yes. I think right now our ads cost $100. Yeah. That's where we're at. A hundred dollars. If you're paying a Bitcoin, eighty dollars. I would take fifty at this point. <laughs> <laughs> if someone wants to pay for my Uber back uptown, I will read an ad read for them. <laughs> so we're rolling in. Like I said, if Bitcoin ever gets made into a movie, there's gonna be a few montages. And uh, I guess from the low of twenty fifteen when it hits 180, we begin the slow rise back up to all-time highs and to where we are today. And I guess you could say we have uh, another montage, like like that Lazarus character that we all know from the Bible, Bitcoin resurrects from the dead. The honey badger is ready to begin its trek to new all-time highs. And this one extends through the summer of this year. It's crazy how fast things are beginning to unfold in the Bitcoin world as the chaos around this nation digital currency continues to speed up. So again, we have the music starting, it's picking up, and this is how the montage goes. The camera zooms in on longtime Bitcoin developer Mike Hearn as he's in his room about to hit publish on a medium screen in which he declares that he's quitting the failed Bitcoin experiment. The camera pans from the submit button to an unopened browser tab showing the Bitcoin price standing at $430. We zoom out from New York City and we quickly zoom into a conference room in Hong Kong as Bitcoin developers, mining companies, and industry leaders are all shaking hands after coming to what they thought was a scaling agreement known as the Hong Kong Agreement. We'll soon come to find that it will never come to fruition. The tape skips forward three months and we see Craig Wright sitting down with early Bitcoin developer Gavin Andresen. We watch as Craig tricks Gavin into believing that he is Satoshi Nakamoto and then proceeds to trick the media with the same contrived evidence. The price has crept up to $454. We zoom into Oracle Arena in Oakland just as Steph Curry misses a three. The buzzer sounds and the Cleveland Cavaliers storm the court after winning Game 7 of the NBA Finals, bringing a championship to the city of Cleveland for the first time since 1964. The camera continues to zoom in on a fan in the stands fixated on her phone. We see that she's checking her Coinbase app and the price of Bitcoin has risen all the way to $770. She immediately texts her BFF, it's time to go all in, batch. The calendar appears on screen. We flip through 21 days, landing on July 9, 2016. We cut to a gathering in New York City. It's a bunch of nerds getting together to celebrate the second black re block reward having as Bitcoin hits block 420,000. Everyone in attendance gleefully toast each other as the reward per block falls from 25 Bitcoin to 12.5 Bitcoin per block. 
making the mad dash for bitcoins even more frantic. As the camera zooms in on the celebratory cheers and we hear the clanging of the champagne glasses, we cut to Hong Kong. This time we're in Bitfinex's headquarters. There's an employee in the corner having a panic attack as he attempts to tell his boss the exchange has been hacked for more than 119,000 Bitcoin. We flash to a trader in the Netherlands at his computer reading a stream of shit posts from other traders around the world who are trolling Bitfinex over the hack that affected their hot wallets. At the same time, he's tracking a chart on his other monitor which shows that Bitcoin prices temporarily fall into $480 as this news spreads on Twitter. The camera goes dark and we hear a voice utter, sorry to keep you waiting, complicated business, complicated. We flash to a live feed of CNBC. Donald Trump has just started his acceptance speech after winning the United States presidential election. A news ticker scrolls across the bottom of the screen. Investors flock to safe haven assets in reaction to the US election. Gold is up 2.1%. Bitcoin's up 5%, sitting at $726. We flash forward a couple of months and we're sitting in a evaluations office. We see three analyst bros sitting in a semicircle. Their backs are to their computers. All three are hungover from the extensive amount of drinking and eating they did over the Christmas and New Year's break. In the middle of stories of failed hookup attempts and bringing their family shame, the one analyst named Mark chimes in that Bitcoin has just hit $1,000 for the first time since 2014, and the two other analysts should think about getting in before it explodes higher. The other analyst, Julian, laughs and says that this is a bubble territory and he'll buy when it crashes next. We cut to a bodega in New York City where we can see that day's Wall Street Journal. One of the headlines on the front page reads, SEC denies Winklevoss application for ETF. A stack of new papers gets dropped on top of the headline, We just read, we see that 18 days have passed and another Bitcoin ETF has been denied. We can see the price is at $1,040 in the first line of the corresponding article. We zoom out of New York City and travel all the way back to Japan, where the Minister of Finance is giving a speech announcing that Bitcoin is now legal tender on every part of the island in the Pacific. As the finance minister gives his final bow, we jump forward in time to May. We find ourselves back in New York City, this time in the offices of Digital Currency Group, where a group of venture capitalists, miners, and CEOs in the Bitcoin industry are shaking hands and verbally jerking each other off after signing what will become to be known the New York Agreement, which stipulates that the industry will push to activate the long-awaited upgrade and segregated witness, followed by a hard fork of the network to double the block size. The camera zooms in on a laptop with a tweet deck open. We can see the column titled Crypto. Everyone is complaining about the newly signed agreement, claiming that the New York agreement doesn't represent their views for the future of scaling Bitcoin. There's an unopened tab next to the screen with a tweet deck, and on it we can see that the price has climbed up to $2,450. The screen goes dark, and we can hear two people arguing about something called Bitcoin Cash, a Bitcoin hard fork that occurred two weeks earlier on August 1st. The music fades, and we discover that we are living in a weirder world than when the montage first started. The price of Bitcoin has increased more than 10x, running all the way from $430 to $4,500 in an 18-month period. Over the course of that 18 months, while all that was going on, with Bitcoin, we have all coins springing up like Ethereum and Zcash. They're rising in popularity, claiming to be better than the Honey Badger at what it aims to do, which is secure money. The masses around the world have become at least semi-cognizant of what this new technology is, and exchange volumes increased dramatically 
as governments begin to pay more and more attention to the money that is out of the grasp of their control. People are beginning to accept that Bitcoin isn't going anywhere anytime soon. Wow. Wow. Now we're motherfucking here. We are in the mix. We are in this fucking mix. Let's go. Now it's time to really go. The history is over. History is over. That was an intense montage. I hope you freaks realize how hard it is to record a montage, how many takes it takes, and how much life it I takes lose. a lot. My girlfriend's texting me about dinner. We got a lot going on. This is like this is like back being on the on the floor. We're just got a lot going on. And she's texting me about dinner. I got to get text about dinner. I'm trying to watch a bet. We're trying to record a montage. I'm trying to see what's going on with the Sixers. I feel like I'm back. We're just moving in a million different places. We got a bunch of things going on at once, and that's the type of environment I like to be in. Um, so to recap the montage a little bit, like I said, the price 10xed in 18 months leading up to where we are today. Um, so it's been a chaotic run. Like Lewis said last week, uh, he probably got it about seven months ago, and I would uh, think I'm safe to assume that a lot of you listening right now probably got in this year or, or doing a lot more intense research starting this year. That's what the price went back above $1,000. Um, so yeah, this is where we are right now. Bitcoin is almost nine years old. It'll be nine years old on uh, January 3rd of next year. So um, a lot has happened in this short amount of time. Like I said, a movie could be made already. It could be an eight-part movie. Uh, and this book is not in anywhere close to being finished or being written. Um I mean, we're not even close. We're not even close. No, I mean, theoretically, for the diehards out there, myself included, we view Bitcoin as something that'll be here for generations, for hundreds of years. Yeah, system. yeah this shit ain't going anywhere, guys. I'm, I'm, t- I'm telling you right now. It's So that's one thing I hope you freaks realize out there is that we're at the very beginning, the very beginning of something. Think of the internet in 1990, not even 94. This is before... AOL was handing out uh, access to the internet via Millennium albums. Shout out Backstreet Boys. That was how I got exposed to to AOL. Was the Millennium album from from the Backstreet Boys? I mean, I think what we're really yeah, what we're really getting out of this, and what I'm hoping that like we get out of this shit is like why why we talked about doing this is that like. I mean, I listen to other ones. They're super fucking informative. They're super fucking boring. I feel like I'm listening to, like, my fucking, like, eighth grade teacher. Like, I don't give a shit. Like, we're trying to basically bring you, like, the Daily Show for fucking crypto. Daily Show crypto. Trying to bring a little humor to it. Little humor, little fun, little, like, people showing up with beers. They're just like, oh, like, I don't know what's going on. Fucking anything's anything's going to be possible on Tales from the Crypt. Literally anything. Anything. We're telling tales from the crypt, and the crypt is a creepy place. That's true. Anything's possible. You never know what's going to happen. I may have to leave because I'm getting yelled at by my girlfriend. Like that, anything could fucking happen. So basically, what I think, and also I'm going to let Marty tell this too, is that like I'll jump in from time to time. I'm kind of like a sub, but Marty's going to get some real guests and he's going to rock this fucking thing. And you want to know what I'm going to do? I'm going to sell, try and make us some money. So tales from the crypt 21 at gmail.com. Email us if you want to, if you want to subscribe, if you want, sorry, not subscribe, but definitely subscribe. If you want to buy some ads for your altcoin or anything you're fucking trying to sell, we're well, I'm here to push it. We're here to push 
anything <laughs> for any amount of money. <laughs> yeah, and what I hope to to do going forward is, yes, yeah, like Lewis said, get some interesting people on here who've uh, rolled their sleeves up, gotten their hands dirty, and have sort of been around Bitcoin and crypto assets in general for the last uh, eight years. There's a lot of interesting stories out there. One thing I would like all of you to keep in mind, I assume a lot of the listeners right now are American. Um, the cutting edge of Bitcoin and the innovation that it brings, really, we don't really notice the benefits of it here. you got to look to places like Venezuela, Argentina, um, countries like Russia, China, uh, that have very centralized governments that are very oppressive uh, that's where Bitcoin will thrive and we'll, we'll see the best use cases come out of is places where information and thoughts are suppressed. Um, but like Lewis said, before we, we hang up the mic here, I, I want to give a big shout out to Lewis and Barstool Sports for allowing me to use their studios. Honestly, I can't thank you guys enough. This is huge. Dude, you can come back anytime to use the studio. As long as there's like, like I wish you guys could see the studio. It's a fucking mess. There Maybe a- Marty can take a picture of it and show it. It's a fucking mess. Like this place is a, a, this place is a war zone. It's almost like a frat house for all you like crypto people that don't know what Barstool is. Like we have like a frat house media company that basically is about like gambling. I don't even know what else. We're about gambling, fucking just whatever's funny in the world. People bringing in beers all the time. It's like about little, sports, yeah, sports, sports, whatever. It's like college again. It's like college. I mean, um, but yeah, great to have Marty here. I love having him here. I love he brings a lot of knowledge to this stuff. I mean, he loves it. It's it's good to have him here. So I'm gonna let him. I'm gonna let him end his, end end the final episode of episode one of Tales from the Crypt part two. Part duh. So that's the history of Bitcoin. That's what we just went through in the last two episodes, or excuse me, two parts of the first episode. Uh, again, I want to thank you guys, all you freaks, for listening in. Again, I'm just some random dude who's been around this space for, for too long, it feels, right now. Um, like I said, we're going to get into some interesting interviews. We're going to get some interesting people on here and try to get some interesting perspectives in front of all of you so you can make some smart decisions going forward. There's a lot of information out there. There's a lot of misinformation out there. And I'm not going to lie, it's confusing, even for myself, even for somebody that's been in, in the space for five to six years now at this point. Yeah, I'm also going to say, I want to jump in. I know I'm just jumped in again because I'm the, just whatever, because I'm the color guy. This shit's super fucking confusing. Even the smartest people don't know exactly what's going on. We've talked to super smart people. Me and Marty actually, we even, I was with the VC company that invested in us and then I saw Marty at like a at like a meetup one time even the super smart people don't know what's going on but don't give up on it don't quit because it's like this is going to matter one day so like don't stop listening like you need to know this shit like it'd be like people being like ah oh, the internet's not going to work cuz remember like the remember I guess like when like the internet bubble burst like people like ah oh, it doesn't it's not going to matter it's going to work this shit is going to matter and it's going to be very very important one day it is very important today, but it's going to be extremely important years from now. It will be ubiquitous at one point, and we're going to help you learn on that, that journey to ubiquity. So we're going to end it here. Again, thank you guys for joining us. This is Tales from the Crypt. My name is Marty Bent. Follow me on Twitter, at Marty Bent. Subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe to the YouTube page. Subscribe to anything you can. Unsubscribe, resubscribe. Tell your family. Tell your dog. Tell random people on the streets. 
We're going to be back giving you that hot crypto knowledge going forward. Peace. Peace and love. <laughs>